Kenosha, Wisconsin is burning up, and we've seen this story before. Hello, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury for National Preview Online. Welcome to another National Preview Online podcast. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe. You can go to the iTunes App Store and find us there at NP Online. You can go to podbean.com, our hosting service, and find us there. We soon hope to be on the Google Play Store, but that's proving to be a little complicated, but hopefully we'll be there. But there's many ways for you to find us. You can also subscribe to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash National Preview Online. And you can also go to our website, nationalpreviewonline.com. If you'd like to reach us, please feel free to send me an email at nationalpreviewonline at gmail.com. Well, by now you all know about the shooting of Jacob Blake. Many sites have wrongfully and incorrectly listed him as a fatal police shooting. He has not been fatally shot. He is alive. He is in stable condition, but apparently the bullets, one or more of them, damaged or severed his spinal cord, and he is now possibly paralyzed for life. Judgment has been made by the masses. Already the police are deemed to be at fault, and the rioting has ensued. So much so that two more people were shot by people we still don't know if they were part of the militia, this call for a call to arms, so to speak, that even Facebook now begrudgingly took down the event. And the people shot were two protesters. Now, this would be tragic, and it is tragic, but it's all the more sad that it is tragic because we've seen this before, and this can be prevented. There are people, professional rabble-rousers in this country, among them the most famous is Al Sharpton, that love to exploit shootings like this. And I have long been of the opinion that the objective here is not for justice. It's not for justice for the people shot by the police. It's not for justice uh, for minorities being shot by the police. These are people, these anarchists, that want an entire class of people, criminals, to have blanket immunity from any police enforcement action. They want a lawless United States so they can exploit that and try and get people to move inexorably towards centralized government control of law enforcement, which is one of the many steps that need to be taken when you're looking to move a country from democracy uh, and a republic to a communist or totalitarian state. In point of fact, there are more white people shot by the police every year than there are people of minority extraction. And if there is a a disproportionate amount, and I'm not saying that there is, but, uh, but if there is a disproportionate amount of minorities shot by the police, one does have to remember that, like it or not, Uh, African-American males commit a disproportionate amount of crime in this country as the representation of the population as a whole. Uh, Now, this is information that is put together by the FBI and other law enforcement agencies. And remember that many of these crimes are not victimless crimes. I mean, crimes like narcotics, possession of guns, these are crimes where the state acts as the complainant. So the police officer is the complainant acting on behalf of the state of New York. 
But most of these other crimes, robbery, burglary, assault, rape, sodomy, arson, larceny, these are all crimes with victims. And the victims of these crimes committed by these black perpetrators are themselves overwhelmingly of minority extraction. So it isn't as if there was some uh, make-believe white people out there that are making up the identities of these criminals. There are people in the black community who are being robbed, and we should be concerned about them. Yes, I'm concerned about people being wrongfully accused of crimes, but I'm also concerned about people who are the victims of crimes. To see people working every day in blighted areas, you would call them ghettos or economically disadvantaged communities. They get up in the morning, they take the train to the bus, they go to their job, they're not working for big money, they come back, hopefully they get home before it's too dark, they don't get robbed, and they get to their homes and they hope they haven't been burglarized in their absence. This is their lot in life. These are the silent majority, the honest working people that you don't hear about in these minority communities. They're the forgotten ones. Nobody's championing, championing them. They're only championing the uh, plight of people who have run afoul of the law. Now, it's instructive to note that in the vast majority of these cases, this rush to judgment is premature. And a full investigation of the facts, 90% of the time or better, reveals that the police were justified in their actions and that the innocence or actions of the alleged victim, who was really the perpetrator, were not what they were originally claimed to be. More recently, we've had a lot of uh, these incidents over the years, but recently we have the big George Floyd incident, which caused all of this recent rash of violence, the burning down of cities in blue states, blue cities, Portland, Seattle, we've seen it. Well, autopsy reports, I've reported on this before, reveal that George Floyd, despite the pictures showing this officer kneeling on his neck with his knee, has no neck trauma. Uh, a video, a full video of the Floyd arrest posted by a black man on Facebook who was outraged not so much by the Floyd death. He was, of course, justifiably upset about George Floyd having died, but he was outraged that the full story of the George Floyd arrest was not revealed. He was outraged at the way people have been played and how people are being manipulated and violence is ensuing and being visited upon people that had nothing to do with George Floyd's death as a result of the manipulation of the media. I'm talking about the video media of this arrest. The full film is about eight minutes, and it shows police officers going above and beyond trying to get George Floyd to cooperate uh, with the arrest. He was very uncooperative, and the toxolo uh, toxicology reports, as I've explained before in past episodes, prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that George Floyd was as high as a kite. He had a drug cocktail going on that would have made uh, a bartender of exotic drinks proud of the mixture that he came up with, fentanyl, and everything else you could possibly imagine, marijuana, a whole bunch of things. So George Floyd's death, unfortunately, is going to be revealed to have been caused more by his own pre-existing conditions and by the 
drug cocktail that he consumed. And George Floyd, by the way, was not a nice man. He did five years in prison on a home invasion where he held a gun to the stomach of a pregnant woman. This is not exactly a Boy Scout. But prior to that, we had another big case, Michael Brown in St. Louis, where we saw that whole town burned up. We saw the L.A. Rams taking the field. Hands up, don't shoot, because that was the false narrative and lie that had been peddled immediately by witnesses. Once these witnesses were questioned by the authorities and put under oath, they weren't so quick to lie, they told the truth. Now, how do we know they were telling the truth? Well, we had a detailed investigation in the Michael Brown case uh, by the local district attorney, who's the one that should be doing it. The state investigated it. And then last but not least, the Justice Department investigated. And the Justice Department, believe me, just can't wait to prosecute a police officer because it's a big trophy for the attorneys that do it. And it's of particular interest or should be, to all of you, that the Justice Department at that time was under the aegis of the Obama administration. Eric Holder was the Attorney General, himself an African-American. He investigated that thing six ways to Sunday, and at the end of the day, they couldn't find anything to prosecute that police officer for, because everything that that police officer said was absolutely true, and the reason we know this is because it was verified by physical evidence. If Michael Brown had put his hands up, said don't shoot, had been running away, he would have had gunshots to the back. He really didn't. If Michael Brown had put his hands up and was running away and was half a block away, his blood, his DNA, fingerprints, wouldn't be on the inside of the radio car. Michael Brown rushed that radio car and tried to fight with that cop and tried to pull the gun away from him. That cop was fighting for his life. The gun went off and Michael Brown was killed. Michael Brown was also on videotape earlier in the evening, the incident which caused the officer to recognize the description and brought him to his attention, strong arm robbing a man in a store. Michael Brown was a thug. I'm sorry if that offends people, but Michael Brown was a low-life thug. And I'm sure that it's very hurtful to his parents to have to admit that their son, or any child, uh, has become something the world is better off without. I know I would feel that way um, if it happened to my own son. No one wants to think ill of their son, but the facts are the facts. Michael Brown was a thug, and he died a thug's death, fighting with the police. If you don't want to die at the hands of the police, don't fight. Look, I don't care if you're black, if you're white, you're Hispanic, I don't care what you are. If you do as you're told by the police, the chances are 99.9% that you're going to come out just fine in terms of physical harm. You're not going to be beaten. You're not going to be shot. You're not going to be bludgeoned. You may be arrested if you really did do something wrong. But this new fashionable approach of where when we don't think the police are justified, that we can arbitrarily exercise the right to debate it then and there on the street is something that is being promoted by these anarchists for the purposes of fomenting continued confrontation with the police and becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You start fighting with the police and you're going to get beat and you're going to get shot. 
It's one of the reasons why the legislature in the state of New York, and I'm sure I'm more familiar with New York state law than other states, but I'm sure that other states have similar statutes, has what is referred to as a no-sock law. They recognize that confrontation should not take place in the street, that people, although they have a right to object to the actions of the police, there is proper remedial channels you can take. You have civilian complaints you can make. There is litigation you can engage in with your own lawyer. You can make an, a complaint to the local district attorney, to the attorney general. There's many things you can do to make your case. The one thing the legislature doesn't want you doing is trying to debate it then and there with the police, because it's a matter of public policy and in the interest of public order, you can't have that. That's why a police officer in New York State can arrest you for something he knows you absolutely didn't do. You're not allowed to resist, because all that is doing is escalating these things and making them worse. If I were a New York City cop or a New York State cop, I could walk up to and say, I'm arresting you for the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Even though you might have been born 20 years after that, you know it's impossible. I know it's impossible. Everybody knows it's impossible. If you fight with me then, you're going to wind up getting tuned up more. If it gets really, really desperate, you're going to get shot. If you don't fight and you go along with it, what's going to happen? You're going to get handcuffed. You're going to get placed back in the radio car. You're going to be taken to the, de uh, to the precinct. The desk sergeant's going to ask me, what do you have him for? And I'm going to say, I've locked this guy up for the Kennedy assassination. Really, um, Officer Rodriguez, would you please take... Officer Dury's prisoner off to the side. I have to speak to the officer, and I'll be sent to psych services or out to the hospital because, obviously, it can't possibly be. And you're going to get cut loose, and you're going to have a nice lawsuit against the city or whatever municipality I'm working for. That's the way it was designed to be. There was wisdom when these statutes were put together. But this type of thing, where we're going to just debate it on the street and engage in more fighting with the police, is designed to do exactly what it's doing to potentiate anarchy and bring us all to the point of a civil war. And that's what it's coming to. So don't fall into it. I know things don't look good on this Jacob Blake shooting. They don't look good in any shooting. But just to give you an example, right before the show, uh, I got a call from my brother. And he wanted to know my opinion on this shooting. And I told him, well, strange coincidence, I'm just about to record a podcast where I'm going to be speaking about that, among other things. And he says, well, it looks pretty bad. You know, the guy was shot seven times and he didn't have any weapon. I said, well, he had a weapon uh, in the front seat of the car. It was on the front floorboard in the, in the front seat. I says, and the film shows he was going for the, uh, for the door, for the front seat. Uh, and so they probably feared that he was going for that knife. Uh, they might not have known that it was a knife itself, but he was reaching down for something, so they probably were worried that he was going to pull up a gun. When you're in that close proximity, um, you don't have time to react. And my brother says, no, he was going for the backseat. I saw the video. Now, maybe there are altered videos out there that my brother saw, but this is, and if, if that is the case, that just goes to further illustrate my point, that people are being manipulated because people are taking videos, altering them, for the purposes of stirring people up. Now, I went and looked at that video. I saw a verified video, and it clearly shows the man opening the front door of the SUV and bending down to the floor of that SUV. Now, I don't know all of the facts. The only thing I will say that I might have done differently, I would have stopped him 
from getting, if I was satisfied that he didn't have a gun before he went, or a weapon before he went to the car, I probably wouldn't have had my gun out, and I would have stopped him before he went into a car. Because experience tells you that if he's going into the car, he's going to get something, or he's going to try and drive away. Either way, I don't want him there. If for some reason he got to the car, I wouldn't jump on him and be that close, because if he wheels up with a gun, you've got no choice but to shoot. If you're back a little bit of a distance, maybe you have more time to assimilate, you have more time to get out of the way, more time to find cover. Uh, But the bottom line is, I don't believe that these Kenosha police or the one officer who fired acted out of malice. He probably acted more out of fear than anything else, and that is a motivating factor in a lot of these police shootings. Police officers are human beings after a while, I mean, after all, rather, and they only have so much in the way of emotional reserve, and eventually some people's levels are hit, and fear takes over, self-preservation takes over, and people, people shoot. It's unfortunate, but it's not done with maliciousness, and it's not done that often. The fact that these things are celebrated the way they are is a testament to the rarity uh, of, with which they occur. Now, I wanted to move on to one other topic today because it's being highlighted, you know, the conventions are underway. And did you folks see the speech given by Herschel Walker the other night on the convention? I mean, of all the speeches given so far, that was without a doubt my favorite because it was just so from the heart, so down to earth, and delivered with such genuine sincerity that to me, it just struck a chord with me. It tugged at the heartstrings. It was short, sweet, and to the point. And it's really hard to argue with it. And to watch people on CNN, CNNBC, and MSNBC trashing it and trying to... They must have watched a different speech than I did because it was completely out of line with what I saw in terms of their evaluation and criticism of it. I especially liked Herschel's line that one of the most hurtful things that he heard said about Donald Trump was that he was a racist. And that he said that I take it as a personal insult that people would think I'd have a 37-year friendship with a man who was a racist. And Herschel Walker, as he said, knows what he's talking about. He grew up in the Deep South. He saw racism firsthand. He said, I know what it looks like, and it isn't Donald Trump. So kudos to Herschel Walker. But already, even though there's a lot of this recorded speeches or speeches with limited audiences or no audiences. The Republican National Convention, in terms of technology and excitement, as much as can be had absent a live audience, is blowing away what we saw last week in the DNC. That was pure garbage. I mean, Joe Biden's speech was not done live. I can't, there's no way he did that live. He just doesn't have it. The man is suffering uh, from dementia. It's not his fault, but he's suffering. That clearly had to be something of multiple segments that were pre-recorded and spliced together to give the appearance of it being given live in a 22-minute stretch. No way it happened. And notwithstanding, there was slurring going on and a couple of mistakes. So, so much for the comparison. But the issues that are still dividing us, the, the big issues, which are, are, are still first and foremost in this campaign, as they were in 2016, uh, are going to be on, on the, uh, the chopping block for 2020. Illegal immigration. Now, I have three things that I consider core issues. 
and they're all related to immigration. In fact, they're all related to each other. Three things that people need to understand. Illegal immigration, the tax code, and voting. Because they all tie together, and each potentiates the effect of the other. Now, the people on the left want you to believe that the United States is just a prejudiced country. It was founded illegally or illegitimately. It was based on slavery, and everything that we created was based on slavery, and we stole this, and we stole that. We stole the land from the Indians. We did this, and we did that, and it's just a bad place. So we have to remake it from the ground up, and we're prejudiced against immigrants because we don't want them coming to this country, even though we were immigrants, and we came to the country, and we took it over. Well, a little different. First of all, there was no country when we got here. There was land, there were tribes, there was no country. There was no modern civilization of any kind. We created it. We created a civilization, we tamed this land. Now, we also came here with a certain degree of ability and education. We also, in the present day, allow one million people to immigrate to this country legally every year. That's more than all the other countries in the world combined allow to legally emigrate to their country. We have never had a problem with legal immigration in this country. We have a problem with illegal immigration to this country. Now, in the early days, when the country was growing and we needed a labor force, we had unfettered immigration from Europe. But the people that were coming here were skilled. We had carpenters, we had stone workers, we had tailors, we had people that were willing to work and able to work and had skills, skills that we needed. So you can have unfettered immigration, as Milton Friedman pointed out, as long as you have immigration to employment. You can't have unfettered, unlimited, unlimited immigration to welfare. And that's what you have now. Because I'm sorry to say that the reservations I have about people emigrating from third world countries here is not because I'm prejudiced against people emigrating from third world countries. I am adamantly opposed to allowing people to immigrate here who are essentially illiterate and ignorant. We are not supposed to be a vocational training center. If people have skills, and that's the criteria in almost every civilized country, if you have skills that we need, we're happy to have you. But these people are illiterate. And, and let me explain. This is not a question of people not being able to speak English. I am not going to hold it against anyone who comes here from a foreign land and can't speak English. Because if I went to a foreign land, be it a Spanish-speaking country or a German-speaking country or a Chinese-speaking country, I wouldn't be able to speak those languages either. But I can speak English. I'm educated in English. If they hand me a form to fill out in English for the purposes of gaining information in that country, I can fill it out. People that come here from these third world countries, you hand them a form in English, they can't fill it out, obviously. They don't read or write English. Hand them the same form in Spanish, their native tongue, and they can't read or write in that either. They're just illiterate. We don't have any need for more illiterate people. People who are illiterate are not able to be gainfully employed. Therefore, they're going to be limited to very, very menial, menial jobs. Now, you bring them in and you try to make them citizens. That's what Democrats want to do. What do the Democrats also do? They expand welfare rights. 
welfare rights, public assistance, food stamps, for anyone who was either unwilling to work, which should never be the case, we should never be giving money to people who are simply unwilling to work, or those who are really unable to work in any meaningful employment because they're illiterate. Now, if you succeed in getting them voting rights, who do you think it is they're going to vote for? They're going to vote for whoever is giving them more of other people's money. They're going to vote for Santa Claus. It's what they've always done. It's one of the reasons why the founding fathers didn't want anybody voting who wasn't paying property taxes. As I said in the show earlier in the week, uh, the one reason why the vote was only given to people who owned property is because that was the only form of taxation then. There was no income tax, either at the state or local level, uh, state or federal level. And the only way the government had revenue was through property taxes, and they felt it was immoral to allow people who weren't footing the bill to have a say-so in how the money was spent. So you bring people here who are ignorant. You try and get them the vote so they continue to vote for more of what you're giving. And then you have a tax code, which is progressive, supposedly to make it fair, and what it's really done is become very, very unprogressive and very, very unfair because the bottom 50% of the income tax returns filed in this country, that means half of the 135, 130 million, about 65 million returns, pay less than 4% of all the income tax from those 135 million returns. The top 50% pay more than 96%. And as I said before, the top 1% pays 40%. The top 5% pays 50%, top 10%, 60%, top 25%, 84%. So this is a very, very heavily concentrated tax system that we have that really punishes the people who are earning the money and investing the money. Now, there are those out there who make the argument, well, they should pay more because they can afford to. The simple fact that you can afford to pay more doesn't mean you should pay more. Would you like me to employ that same logic to anything that you could buy? I'm not talking so much to the poor people, because like I said, a lot of them are uneducated, that come here from foreign countries, they may not understand everything. I'm talking about you rich liberals who buy into this horse dung. You want to drive a Mercedes, it costs 100000 and you pay it, because you can afford it. But I know you can afford more than 100000 you could afford 300000 Would you like me to start advocating that the prices you pay for goods should be adjusted up based on what I think you can afford? No, I think you can afford 300000 So when you buy it, it's going to be 300000 Hey, let's go one better. When I go in to buy the Mercedes, since I can't afford a $100,000 car, I can afford a $40,000 car. I'm going to have the price lowered down to 40000 so I can afford it. Is that what you think is legal? You think that's fair? There isn't a single sane person who would think what I just said was fair, that a rich person should have the price of the car trebled and the poor person should have the car, price of the car reduced by 60%. But that's precisely what's happening with our tax code. Yes, the rich pay more in taxes. They pay more not only in actual dollars, but they pay more on a percentage basis the tax rate is higher for them. But do they get any more services? Do they get any more access to public roads? Do they get any more access to the transit system? 
They don't get any more for their tax dollars. They're just being hosed more. So why should they do it? So you see, there is a very, very tight nexus between illegal immigration, our tax code, and voting. And these are things that are very easily corrupted. Our voting system, our tax code, is being corrupted. Therefore, our government, through the power of the vote, is being corrupted by illegal immigration. Because there was a very famous man whose name escapes me at the moment. I think his name was Professor Tyler, Scotsman, who noted that democracy can only last until the public realizes that they can vote themselves access to the public treasury through the vote. They can gain access to the public treasury through the vote. People who aren't paying any taxes, do you think they're going to support any kind of tax rate that make, or tax code that makes them pay and make somebody else above them pay less? They're going to vote access to other people's money. And a government should never be empowered to do what you can't do yourself. You wouldn't be allowed to tell your neighbor to give you money to buy stuff. And the government shouldn't be able to take money from your neighbor to give it to you to buy stuff. Charity work goes a long way. We have a lot of philanthropy in this country. But the government is becoming far too intrusive in our lives. And the federal government has grown far too big. And it's undermining the nature of the representative democracy in the Democratic Republic where the primary form of governance was supposed to be at the state level that our founding fathers envisioned. Now, before I go today, I just have one final little thought I wanted to close with. You know, people on the left are very good at lecturing other people, and uh, I find it interesting that they speak with such uh, conviction, such certitude, as if they know that they're right and the rest of us are dumb. Uh, one such man is probably one of the dumbest men on TV, which is why they give him if I only had a brain eyeglasses, is Don Lemon of CNN. Don, Don Lemon is an absolute schmuck, but he speaks with this pathetic, well, he's a little fruity, but he, he speaks with, a, uh, with this assuredness, this calm, you know, I really can't help people. They, these people that support Trump, you know, they, it's like an addict. They have an addiction. And until they hit rock bottom, uh, I'm just not going to help them. No, Don, it's you're the, you're the one with the addiction. You have the addiction to stupidity. A big addiction to stupidity. The old saying when I was younger is that if you aren't a liberal when you're a teenager, you have no heart. And if you aren't a conservative, by the time you're a full-grown and older adult, you have no brain. You undertake to lecture everyone about what you think is right. You assume that all the Trump voters are idiots and you're the only smart one. You're not that smart. You're very stupid. And not many other podcast hosts would say this, but I'm going to say it because it happens to be the truth. And I say it without rancor and bitterness. You conduct yourself exactly like someone who can see the forest from the trees would expect you to conduct yourself. You're a minority. You're black. You're also, admittedly, gay. And you think 
because you are black and because you are gay, that if the world operates like you think it should work, that you should be immune from any criticism, that you should be able to say whatever the hell you want simply because if anyone criticizes you, they're doing so, they must be doing so, because you're either black, gay, or both. I could care less if you were black, brown, pink, red, or green. I could care less if you were gay, straight, transgender, or a Martian. I think you're an idiot because I think you're an idiot. And I think you're an idiot because you are. And you work for a benighted organization that doesn't even deserve to call itself a news organization. For National Preview Online, I'm Jamie Dury.